like I said, I'm barefoot for Quentin tonight. Get horny. Oh, oh, you ready to blow? Yeah, I'm ready to blow. Well, I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. Every time my fingers touch brain, I'm super fly TNT. I'm the guns of the Navarone. In fact, what the fuck am I doing in the back? You the motherfucker should be on brain detail. We fucking switching. We fucking switching. Hi, I'm Candy, the final girl. And I'm Sean of the Dead. I love you, pumpkin. I love you too, honey bunny. All right, everybody be cool. This is a robbery. Any of you fucking pricks move and electrocute every motherfucking last one of you. (laughs) Tonight we are talking about, for our horror business episode, Hulk Fiction from 1994. We have Mac the All-Star and Rob the Cinema Drunkie Antiquetta. You know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? No, man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. Then what do they call it? They call it a Royale with cheese. A Royale with cheese. Then what do they call a Big Mac? Well, a Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it a Little Big Mac. A Big Mac. (laughs) (laughs) What do they call a Whopper? I don't know. I didn't go in the Burger King. (laughs) (laughs) We have Nico Nice. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? What? English, motherfucker, do you speak it? <laughs> yeah. We have Dave German. Bring out the gimp. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Erica Wright. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Marcellus. Okay, um, I, I had to start off this conversation because I started a story in a previous episode for an interview with a vampire, and for me, those this movie, Pulp Fiction, uh, came out the same year as Interview with a Vampire in 1994. I was freshly 15, and uh, they're always linked for me. But I started a story, and it was where I, I saw my biological father once a week. And I said, oh, my God, Interview with a Vampire is coming out. I have to see it opening weekend. And he promised to take me. That was the story. And now at 15, um, my interests weren't too different from now. I, I cared about getting high, um, makeup, and partying. (laughs) So maybe a little different. But um, So we get all the way to the fucking movie theater. We go to buy tickets, and he buys tickets for this movie I've never heard of because I didn't pay attention to any 
TV. I didn't watch a lot of TV. I didn't watch uh, or listen to any, you know, like I was just doing my fucking thing, listening to CDs, getting high. And, um, but I knew about an interview with the vampire, but he buys tickets for Pulp Fiction. I'm like, what the fuck is Pulp Fiction? But, you know, he takes me to see it and he's just like, well, I heard it's so artsy and it's so different. It's so just amazing. And everyone's talking about it. I'm like, they are? I had no idea. What is this shit? So I'm fucking pissed. And we go and we sit in the theater and it had been out for, you know, several weeks at this point. And I'm pissed because I wanted to see fucking vampires. And we, the movie starts and I am just instantly sucked into this thing. And that in, that intro, which we we did part of, uh, Sean and I did, um, and then cut to the, you know, the surfer music. And then, you know, we have that little radio change with Jungle Boogie. And I'm a big funk and, and uh, you know, all that kind of shit fan. So, like, Jungle Boogie comes on. I'm like, oh, shit. And I was just immediately sucked in. He was so embarrassed. He's like, your mother's going to fucking kill me. And he's trying to get me to leave. He's trying to cover my eyes during, you know, the famous... Uh, scene inside the uh you know well let's just say the rape scene and he's trying to pull me out so he goes to get popcorn and is gone for the rest of the movie i'm having the time of my life so i'm like uh so just like i've never seen anything like this fucking movie and it blew me away i was just riveted i was an instant (laughs) super fan and i walked out of that movie like that is the best movie i have ever fucking seen but one of the greatest parts for me was because I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, why am I laughing? Am I supposed to be laughing? Is everybody else laughing at this part? Like when Marvin gets his fucking head blown off, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, am I supposed to laugh at that? Um, or the part, you know, with Christopher Walken, who is so great at, at just playing everything straight. And I'm laughing my fucking ass off at his performance. And it's because it's, it's hilarious. And just like, you know, every, every, you know, little vignette we get in this, there's something funny that... Like, you kind of feel like, should I laugh about that? I mean, the first time you see it anyway. After that, you're like, fuck, that shit's funny. But uh, that's what that was my story. Uh, I ended up, I, I thought I was going to be disappointed. And when I saw Interview with a Vampire, I loved it. But, like, Pulp Fiction changed me completely as a person. Cellularly, I walked out of that, and I was a different person. And it was it was beautiful. Well, I don't really have a uh, cool origin story for Pulp Fiction like you do. Um I saw this um, maybe a year or two after it came out, um, and I had I saw this around the same time that I saw Natural Born Killers for the first time. Now at this time I was eating LSD like candy, <laughs> and so Natural Born Killers appealed more to me than than this film did. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but it was I was just in a different frame of mind uh, at that point. Um, and Pulp Fiction was not the first Tarantino film I saw uh, that goes to Reservoir Dogs, which still to this day is probably my favorite Tarantino film. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I think this is his, in my opinion, best and most memorable film. Um, it has such amazing cast. Um, the characters are unforgettable. Uh, Jules is probably one of the most iconic characters that Quentin Tarantino's ever made. Um and and the lines in this film are just supremely quotable. Uh, I, I use quotes from this film on a daily basis. I hear quotes from this film on a daily basis. Um, it's just, you know, it's a testament to what he's done as a director and um, just, you know, all and around an amazing film. Awesome. Uh, Nico. 
So I um, actually saw this. I think I told the story on the from this, but I'll just repeat it because I mean it. It basically is the same thing. So I I knew about the movie in '94 when it was coming out, and I just I don't know just something about it. I di- I didn't even want to see it. I was just kind of like, why is the guy from Look Who's Talking trying to you know be a fucking gangster? Like I just don't whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of like just just brushed it off, and I mean that was the year like I was really into The Crow. That that's that's when. That's when the crow was such a big thing too. That that's when like you know Miramax was like really like on top of the world at that point. So brush it off, brush it off. <laughs> a year later, you know, uh, one of my really good friends and I got to shout him out, Justin. If he never told me, he was just like, dude, he's like, you really need to watch this movie, Pulp Fiction. And I was like, fuck out of here, it looks stupid. Like I'm not into that shit. I'm like, and I love movies, but whatever. He's like, no, trust me. He's like, matter of fact, he's like, if if you don't like this shit, he's like, I'll buy you a pack of Newport. I promise. I was like, ah. all right. I mean, it's a win-win. I mean, I'm not, you know what I mean? So I asked for it for Christmas, and lo and behold, I got it. But I also got an upper respiratory infection, and I was, like, sick as hell. So I couldn't really enjoy my, my Christmas vacation, right? So, And I was still smoking cigarettes like an idiot because, you know, all you smokers know, even when you're sick, you're still smoking, like, those light menthols or something similar. You You guys already know. So Christmas Eve... You know, a lot of Spanish families, mine included, we open our gifts on Christmas Eve. So that's kind of like the thing. And, you know, during like the middle of like the gifts, like I got I got the Pulp Fiction VHS. So, um, you know, everybody kind of like went to where, they, you know, the different rooms or whatever. And I just sit in the living room and I was kind of like, you know what, let me just watch this fucking movie. Like, I can't sleep, whatever. Can I tell you that after the, the whole fucking three hours the movie is, I fucking put it in the rewinder because I'm aging myself. And... <laughs> watched it right after so i started it at midnight and had to watch it a second time because i was fucking blown away with what i had just seen but what i did was i grabbed my my younger sister she's only about a year apartment and she was like in a dead sleep and i'm like listen get the fuck up you need to watch this shit right the fuck now with me bought her downstairs and she was like fucking captivated by the end of it she's like that movie just fucking changed our lives i'm like it really did like that that movie is a fucking masterpiece. And that's that's my my first time seeing it was and I regretted not seeing it in a theater because it was so goddamn impactful. But that's that's my story with it for seeing it for the first time. Um, Erica. Uh, so I was a latecomer to this film. I saw it years after its release. Um I caught it on video with um my best friend who was a a sparring partner from my jujitsu class. And he's like, you have to see this movie. It's your kind of thing. And I was like, eh, I'm not into crime movies. I don't care about gangster mafia types. Blah. But I mean, this movie was like completely different than I expected. It was uh, the dialogue was just so clever and on point. And the whole, uh, the whole narrative style was just different from other films I had seen at that point. Um, and there are just so many, like, just fascinating and twisted things about it. So I, I really did end up loving it. So thanks to my friend Andrew for hooking me up with that. Awesome. Uh, Dave? So I went and saw this in a theater, and I'd seen Reservoir Dogs and loved it. And um, particularly the uh, the ear-cutting scene kind of stuck with me. And I remember watching this and waiting for a scene kind of like that, waiting for the sort of big, um, sort of twisted uh, scene and um, I was with my uh, my wife at the time and you know we were watching I was I was into it and then the, when when uh, when Zed turns to uh, uh, I forgot his brother's name uh, 
Maynard. And he says, Maynard. And he says, he says, bring out the gimp. I turned to my wife and said, okay, I can see. It. Okay, this is my kind of movie now. Because they, they do that, that close <laughs> in, that, that two shot with Bruce Willis's face. And you see uh, Maynard opening up the, the trap door behind him. And you're like, what is going on now? And they bring this guy out in the gimp suit and chain him up. Like, okay, I'm, I'm interested now. I just remember that scene specifically. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was thinking to myself, okay, I really, I really like this director. I like that where he's, he's taking it to some unusual places here, and I'm in, I'm in for the ride. Awesome, uh, Mac. Uh, I don't know if I have a cool story like Sean said about this movie. I do remember seeing it young though. It came out '94. I was 10. I might have saw it a few years later, but um, this movie did spark my love for movies that make you think. And you have to pay attention because if you don't pay attention with Pulp Fiction, you miss something. You're kind of asked out. But um, I thought this movie was great. And that opening scene really solidified it for me. Awesome. Uh, Rob. Uh, this is all right. Uh, it's not anything special. Um, no, I'm just fucking with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, no, this is great. It's a classic. Um, uh, I remember seeing the trailer for it. Uh uh, Nico mentioned The Crow earlier, and I remember seeing the trailer for it on the b- opening of the VHS of The Crow. Mm-hmm. So I always had that. Mm-hmm. So I always had that in my mind, like about this movie. And uh, I didn't see it in theaters. Uh, nobody was taking me to see this shit. Um, but I did say when it came out on pay per view, and uh, yeah, yeah, I loved it. Uh, I thought uh, it was great. Um, uh, in hindsight, now as we've gone over Quentin's career, it's not as high up as it, it, it used to be. It's kind of lowered. Um, I actually prefer Jackie Brown. That's my favorite of all the, the movies he's directed. Uh, and of course, that one has a uh, Pam Grier and Robert Forster and Michael Keaton in it. So, you know, and Robert De Niro. So, like, you know, you can see my uh, my, uh, my bias there. But, uh, yeah, I still think it's great. Um, it, it's lower because it's practically plotless. It's not practically. It is plotless. There is no plot. Um, it's just a series of events happening. But, uh, you know, the characters are so captivating. And, of course, it's, uh, uh, Quentin's dialogue is so entrancing. And uh, everything is just a, a damn good time. And, like, yeah, 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 I still really love it. Awesome. Um and jump in here. I have to say that um, while I agree that it may not be, I don't know, it, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to say that it's not his best movie, but I may be biased because of the trial by fire in which I saw it. Like it just impacted me much more so than his other films. His other films are great, but this one is the one for me. My favorite character in a movie of all time, this is even going back to my love of classics, is Jules. Jules is my favorite character. One of my favorite lines of the film is when he decides he's going to quit the life and just walk the earth. I just love that. I use it all the time. I'm like, I'm just going to walk the earth. You know, um, just that. But, the, you know, but hearkening back to classics, you can tell that, you know, Quentin, who has very little actual education at all. I mean, at, in general, I'm not just talking about film, but in general, he learned everything from pop culture and, and you know, video stores and watching endless movies. And you can tell that here it's pop culture laden, but we've got this Tarantino verse that would be built upon. Um. I just uh, I, I love the out of sequence. I love everything about this this movie. But yeah, Jules is everything to me. That character and and Samuel Jackson's performance was amazing. And I'm gonna take this moment to point out the Oscars stuff for this. Uh, 
it won for best writer uh, for best writing. That's for Tarantino and Roger Avery. Um, it was nominated for best picture, best lead actor for John Travolta, best supporting actor for Jackson, which I think that should have been switched. I mean, anybody agree? Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, best supporting actress for Thurman, uh, best director for Tarantino, uh, best editing. I mean, it, it was just up for so many awards, and you got to think like almost nobody saw Reservoir Dogs at this time. I didn't see Reservoir Dogs till after this because I had I was not paying attention. I watched The Crow as much as anybody else, but I was fast forwarded through the previews because I didn't fucking care. So this was a complete surprise, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad it was because I walked in there angry and left like on cloud nine. And um, but yeah, this dialogue is so much like old school. Humphrey Bogart type dialogue in a way where it's the dialogue is everything. The dialogue is really, really everything. And if you're not paying attention to the dialogue, then you're not really going to get much from this. Yeah, there's a little bit of action. There's some funny scenes, but the dialogue in Tarantino's films are what is the best. That's what he does the best. And he does a lot of things great. And in honor of Quentin, I am barefoot tonight. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'll just chime in real quick since we're talking dialogue. There are a lot of scenes in this that have, you know, some great dialogue, some great banter back and forth, back and forth. The foot massage conversation uh, outside of the apartment's fucking great. Um, you know, it's not the same game. It's not the same league. It's not even the same fucking sport. <laughs> but my, my favorite, my favorite uh, between uh, Vincent and Jules is after they, after uh, Vincent blows Marvin's head off. And, you know, oh, you about to blow? Well, I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. That's <laughs> for me. That is that is like the ultimate scene in this. Black TNT. Yeah. It comes with the Nico. So it's it's kind of funny because this this movie, I like to compare it in, in a sense to to mall rats in the in the Kevin Smith universe only because. Um, <clears throat> very similar to, to that movie when I saw that, that was my introduction to Kevin Smith's View of Universe, where this was my introduction to Reservoir Dogs. Because remember, at this point, when it came out, it was only just those two movies. And I know True Romance existed, and I know he wrote the script, he didn't direct it. That's a, for another time. But um, yeah, this movie was kind of my, my introduction to the fact that this was somebody who... Um, definitely didn't want to play by the rules kind of did his own thing um you know took the 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 gangster aesthetic and kind of turned it on its ear and he almost kind of not kind of he really did he made he made crime look really cool like being a gangster really yeah. cool especially with that dialogue um but it was because of this that i had to seek out uh, reservoir dogs sick as a dog walking down to the corner you know video store to watch it and being fucking blown away by that movie as well and i'm saying to myself where the fuck did this guy even come from like this guy really came out of nowhere i mean listen this is how much i love tarantino because this and I, i'll make no bones about it this this is my all-time favorite movie of all time anybody over here ask to y'all which it's pulp fiction always um i i i chose and i and i'm still glad i did I would not go see Titanic in theaters until I saw Jackie Brown first in theaters when it opened. That's how much I love Tarantino. Side note, I didn't see Titanic until about March because it was sold out every day since when it came out. So maybe I kind of fucked myself on that, but not really because I think I saw the better of the two movies in, yeah. in theaters. Um, yeah. But yeah, this this was definitely the um, quote unquote gateway drug to the 
brilliance of this man. And to kind of answer the question quick for me as much, and this is my favorite movie of all time. I think my favorite Tarantino movie is probably Django Unchained. Mm. Very good. Uh, Erica. Ah, uh, man. So I want to come back to something Rob said earlier about this movie not having a plot. I would tentatively partially disagree with that. I think it ties into that opening definition of pulp. That they, they The first definition is they like it's a shapeless mass, which kind of fits the narrative structure of this. Like everything's told out of order. It kind of reminds me a bit of um, the, the Heller novel uh, Catch-22, where that's told out of chronological order, but you keep seeing bits of the same incidents told from different characters' perspectives, and then it illuminates more of what actually happened. And and sometimes what's revealed is very funny. Um, so I, that's like one thing I noticed about this. It was like I, when I when I first saw this, it, it was confusing as hell to me. But I mean, I still enjoyed the hell out of the ride. Um, Rob. Uh, going back to. Quentin's dialogue. I, I think what Quentin did best was he norma he humanized the gangster characters. You know that uh, they never talking about like hardcore like the job or any kind of shit. They talking about like you go back to Reservoir Dogs. They talking about like the, the songs they heard on the radio, the meaning of uh, like a virgin and all that <laughs> shit. And I think that's what he does. He does best. Like he 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 really humanizes these kind of like characters that we look as mythic in these gangster movies. You know, he brought them down to a human level. Um, that's that's his gift and that's his curse because you got to realize what uh, about Quentin is that he uh, he knows that's his selling point. He he doesn't really overindulge in the the cinematic aspects like uh, Reservoir Dolls. He was kind of show offy a little bit there, and of Kill Bill, of course, because he was playing with multiple genres. But uh, he has like a nice grounded uh, sense of filmmaking. Like he doesn't really do too much show offy stuff, and that's because he doesn't want to overcrowd his dialogue and his story. And uh, th- that's good because like you know everybody comes in to to, to listen to what his characters have to say. But uh, that's why you have three hour fucking movies and shit, because he just lets his fucking characters talk on and on and on. And and that's a good thing. But it also like it, it, it lacks a sense of urgency in his movies. Like, uh, I mean, uh, in, in hindsight, uh, it, it, it still works because uh, my second favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is The Hateful Eight. And that's three hours is just motherfuckers in a cabin talking and <laughs> be, that, that, that movie shit out of Jennifer Jason Lee. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, probably probably my uh, my favorite scene in that movie is uh, uh, where uh, Samuel Jackson tells Bruce Dern how he made his son suck his dick in the snow. <laughs> so he yeah. put this black this big black pecker in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and I love that shit. Although I have to say, like, uh, as far as Quentin's works go, uh, my favorite thing he's ever done, like whether writing and directing, is True Romance. Yes. Um, yeah. Drexel is my favorite character of all the characters he's written. The, that uh, no, I'm not gonna do it because I could be sitting here quoting Drexel's dialogue all goddamn night. <laughs> <laughs> ever since you walked in, there's a woman on the TV with her breasts is hanging out, but you ain't even bothered to look. That's to me, that's Gary Oldman's best character. Yes, wow. yes, yeah, I, I, I agree. Nah, nah. 
Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Marty, you know who we got here? Motherfucker Charlie Bronson. <laughs> Mr. Majestic. <laughs> nah, is, it, is it White Boy Day? Nah, it ain't White Boy Day. But like, yeah, like that that's that's uh Quentin is is he knows his selling point, but like it's you know the, the man's got an ego. Let's let's not make let's split hairs on it. The man's got a fucking ego, and he knows people are gonna sit there for three hours to listen to his characters talk. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's also like, dude, like let, let, let's get on with it already. At, at some points, um, Django and Chain is like when Calvin Candy's fucking talking his ass off. It's like, ah, oh, bro, okay, we get it. He's racist, and he he, he thinks he's king shit. So let's move it on. But uh, I think that that's the, the the best thing is that about Quentin is that he he can command that you know is that he could like he really could have motherfuckers sitting in there for three hours just to listen to people talk and and that's that's the, the like his his greatest allure to me you know yeah yeah uh, Dave yeah to be a Tarantino fan is to like be at this beautiful buffet of of uh, dialogue scenes. You could just pick from all those movies, these wonderful dialogue scenes that I'm glad Rob brought up true romance, true romance, because my favorite dialogue scene of all time in any film is the scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper in true romance. Scene. Yes. Now, that scene, that scene to this day just absolutely gives me chills. And I actually was reading an interview with uh, Quentin. I think it was right after uh, *Inglorious bastards came out. And he said that that, that was the favorite dialogue scene he had ever written up until he wrote um, Hans Lanza's opening bit in, um, in Glorious Bastards, the, the thing with the milk and stuff, that up to that point, that was his favorite. Because that scene in, in, um, in True Romance is absolutely chilling. I know it's not the movie we're talking about today, but that, to me, you, because you've got hit Quentin Tarantino's dialogue, and then you've got these two actors, Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. There are no better two actors you could put in a scene together. And, and, you know, Dennis Hopper's facial expressions, knowing he's going to die, so I might as well piss this guy off to get it over with quick. You know, and you, when he reaches for the cigarette, and he's smiling, and then when he looks away, he's sh- his hand's shaking because he knows. It's a, it's a great scene, and um, that's the thing about Quentin Tarantino. Being a fan of his, you can pick so many scenes from all of his movies and just line them up. I would, You could watch a, just a, a, a B-reel role of just his dialogue scenes in constant loop and just be happy. Just his dialogue is so scintillating. Some of it's a little long. That was my one complaint of the Hateful Eight is it's too much. It's like like Rob said, it's three hours of motherfuckers talking in a cabin. You know, uh, uh, that was my one complaint about the Hateful Eight. Um, I, I needed a little more outside of that cabin. But anyway, yeah, his dialogue um, and this movie just um, it, it really just distills it. You get so many great dialogue scenes, some long ones, some short ones. Uh, the the thing with um, Rosanna Arquette talking to her friend about the piercing, it's, there's just these little scenes that really don't mean anything, but are just so uh, interesting to watch. And then when I love when he I love when he asks uh, when he says to the uh, to um, Eric Stoltz's character, is she the one with the shit all in her face? And he goes like, no man, that's my wife. He's like, oh man, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was getting upset. <laughs> yeah. I love great. that bit. No, that was my that's my wife. Oh yeah. man, sorry. Okay, Mac. We're talking about dialogue. I think I, I wouldn't be remiss of my favorite dialogue moments. Um, one of them is in that opening scene when he's talking to um, the guy about, yeah, you mind if I eat your hamburger? Eating it. Is that your drink? Sprite? Ah, good choice. <laughs> Drinks it all. 
drinks it all. <laughs> Not takes a sip, literally jerk face, drinks it all. And it's like, ah, that hits the spot. It's so good. Or um, when Christopher Walken is talking to young Bruce about his great-great-grandfather's watch and how it's been up many asses <laughs> to make its way back home. I forgot that scene even happened until I was just recently watching it. And I was like, oh, my God, yo, imagine telling that to, like, a 10-year-old that, yeah, this watch was up some asses for, like, two, three years. He just died to come back to you, <laughs> right? Like spittle up my ass. <laughs> but I like I thought that like what you guys are saying is true. Is you there to see and hear the characters converse? Um, right, that's what you mean. Well, oh, definitely. To, to to touch on what you were saying, Mac, about that that scene with uh, Christopher Walken as uh, uh, Captain Coons. The a little bit of trivia I I came across was that the kid playing young Bruce had no idea what Christopher Walken was talking about. And so the, the scenes where it shows like that blank face on that kid, like he literally had no clue the lines that Christopher Walken was giving him what they meant. And it just adds to the authenticity of that, right. of that shot, you know? Um, Nico. I just kind of want to jump gears just, just a bit and I'm, Sorry if I'm kind of intruding with this, but I think one of the other brilliant things about this film is the music and the fact that he he typically writes dialogue based on songs that he hears in his head and goes and, you know, it's easier for him because he's Quentin Tarantino. But he gets the, the you know, and a lot of these songs aren't like these top 40 like songs either. Like a lot of them are kind of obscure songs that he builds, you know, his his world around. For these for these things like i mean i mean how many of us actually ever heard of, of miserably before this movie came out i mean i'm sure there was maybe just a very select few just a very select few but I'm i mean snob. but you know i mean it's to the point out what black eyed peas sample that that be and people don't associate it with dick dale on the high tones they associate it with pulp fiction which is which is great um hmm. plus let's let's be honest tarantino's the only person in the fucking world that can get away with playing not only Rick Ross, but Tupac and Django Unchained in a movie that takes place two years before the Civil War. Nobody Thank else you. can get away with that. Anybody else would have done that, we'd Thank be you. questioning shit. But because it's Quentin, we're just like, yeah, it's Quentin, man. Like, who gives a shit? Like, only he can get away with fucking doing that kind of thing. And people applauded his art, and rightfully so, because he has the balls to do it. You know, I think that's, you know, Rob said that, Quentin's got an ego. He definitely does. He earned it, especially with this movie. This movie kind of showed his his boss of the world. Like, you know, this is what I got, and I got plenty more where this came from. Like, I mean, I mean, to me, as as a as a huge fan of his, you know, it's very heartbreaking to think that this next one is it. Yeah. So he says. We'll see. Yeah. That, that can, can, can I just add a little bit? Um, that's why he is one of the goats of filmmaking. The man played t- Tupac over the shootout in Django Unchained. The Love man it. is a legend. The man is a legend. <laughs> um, I just want to jump in with some little fun facts. Uh, Tarantino, um, particularly with this film, was reviving and building careers. Uh, he John Travolta's career was in the shitter, and we know that because we did mention "Look Who's Talking," and there was about fucking four of those things. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis was in them too, so um, I'm just saying Bruce Willis still yeah. had some pull, but John Travolta had no fucking career, and that's why you know the the 
the Oscars confused me because I felt like Sam Jackson was more of the lead than the support. <laughs> more of the support. He was great as Vincent Vega. He, you know, um, you know, and then Tarantino verse, which that's a thing. Um, you know, his brothers and Reservoir Dogs and you know whatever. There's a whole thing, but I love the characters so much. Like Vincent, like Travolta was so playing against his usual type. In this, he's kind of this bumbling heroin addict doofus. You know, Jules is the brains, and he's just kind of there. He's just a bad guy because he likes to be bad, and he's kind of not brilliant. Uh, definitely not smart. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I dig it. You know, I, I loved his performance in this, and it was something I'd never seen him do. You know, me seeing him in Greece or you know whatever great performances he did. Um, you know, but so it revived his career and look, you know, went on to do like face off and his, his career is still going from this. So, you know, that's what Tarantino does. He brought Pam Brewer back into relevance with Jackie Brown. But here, you know, we had some, you know, just really, you know, gave the Rames a career. Um, Uma Thurman was like a major thing. You know, it was just like this amazing thing. But this movie cost eight million dollars to make five million of it went to paying the actors five million so that left three million to make the fucking movie and harvey keitel was working for penis because he he had a great experience with them with reservoir dogs and so him just showing up with, as the wolf i mean come on like shit, that's all you had to say shit, Nico, that's all, you had to say. all right like, chill those motherfuckers out <laughs> it's all cool he, he also he also brought back robert forrester's career Yes, yep. I mean there were so many. I couldn't. I didn't want to name anybody, but like, yeah, there. I mean, there's just so many people that he, he he revives and builds careers, and so like now it, it's just like a thing. It's like, oh my god, you know. So he's he continues to do that, bring people into prominence or revive their careers. Um, I was really happy with Pam Greer's career being revived with Jackie Brown, but I'll stop talking about Jackie Brown. But anyway, but yeah, I loved seeing Travolta out of type and. And I loved seeing him go on to do other things. Maybe not all of them were great, but definitely not equal to this performance. And Samuel L. Jackson was just a fucking superstar after this. Who didn't walk away thinking Jules is the coolest motherfucker? Like, which wallet is yours? Uh, what's the one that says bad motherfucker on it? Like, he should already <laughs> know that. You should already know. So, um, quick. Sorry, quick interruption. I read that John Travolta was only paid 150000 for this role yes. yeah but yeah just, he was he was he was working cheap then and, yeah. and but i mean he got nominated for an oscar so you know it worked like out this, this movie for nobody knowing tarantino much previous to that because reservoir darks was pretty obscure before that um yeah i mean like it out of the gate just bam all these fucking oscar noms yeah i mean john travolta did battlefield earth so <laughs> not everything was great <laughs> I like Battlefield Earth. Oh, okay. <laughs> the ironically, version is great. Ironically, I I like it ironically. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, okay. Uh, Dave. So the uh, we I know we talked about the gold watch scene, um, but just I just wanted to say how much I love Christopher Walken in anything he does. I think he's a national treasure. The man should be on Mount Rushmore. He should be, he should be the fifth head on Mount Rushmore. Yes. And that scene is so interesting. It it. it, it because it, it, it takes a hard left at two different points in that scene. 
you know, the, it's a very poignant scene. It's this guy, he's in his uniform. So obviously he went and put on his uniform to go address this, his uh, war buddy's son. And it's a very poignant and very uh, serious scene. And then when he says this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass, it's very funny and, and it breaks the tension. But then also when he, he goes off on a little bit of a couple of racist tirades against the Vietnamese, you know, understandably because he was in a Vietnamese, you know, prisoner of war camp. I get, what does he say? Like, he'd be goddamned if he'd let them get their greasy yellow hands on his son's birthright. It's like, oh, you know, you're not afraid to go there with racism. And it's, like and it's not afraid to take you with it. You know, you're like, oh, I was with it. And then I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it now. You're all conflicted. You know, when he says the greasy, greasy yellow hands, like, oh, wow. It's almost <laughs> it's almost it's almost worse than all the other usages of the N word in this film. That that scene there is like that uh, Quentin Tarantino took a lot of shit for that in, in, in his early films about the use of that word in particular. And I've seen, I've read his defense of it and I respect his defense. He's like, look, I'm a fucking movie. I've got the right to have my characters speak any way that I want them to speak. You know, I'm, I'm a filmmaker. That's what I do. And I respect that. Um, I love how uh, Robert Dole, when he was like running for president, used Quentin Tarantino as his, like his his boogaboo, his go to boogaboo. He's, you know, he's glorifying heroin culture and all this stuff. He'd never even seen the fucking movie. He admitted he never even saw the movie and he's using it as a stump speech, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Annoying. <laughs> um, Matt. So I think the word David was referring to is nigga. <laughs> but um no uh i want to talk about how you guys brought up that you know quentin tarantino has some balls and like candy said he wasn't afraid to go there with racism about um the yellow hands and even that little tirade towards the end when he's talking to jules and vince and he's like this ain't no nigga storage nigga nigga, nigga. he said the n-word so many times but comfortable like he wasn't afraid to to say it and there was no on his face he put it out there and put it in your face and, and his wife is black. Right. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? So I feel like I, I gave him props for, you know, like, yeah, it's a word. It's a bad word. But, you know, if you're trying to tell a story, it's like it is what it is. It's art. Like, take the stick out of your ass and uh, enjoy what you're seeing. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, Nico. Well, I guess to kind of build on that and, to, and, to, and then segue to something else. Um you know, that, that's one of the, the defenses of, of Django that he said. He's like, you know, the reason why people are so, you know, up in arms about it is because that it, it once again exposes America's ugly truth and ugly history. So, you know, and I don't know, know Spike Lee. say this stuff conversationally all the time behind closed doors. Right. And I do remember, and, and I know to this day, and I, and I think it's funny as shit. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the 50 Cent job Rule beef, but. Um, how Quentin Tarantino and Spike Lee, Spike Lee always has a fucking problem with whatever Quentin Tarantino says. Mm-hmm. Like he, I, I think he just hates him because he ain't him. And even Sam Jackson has gotten the bat for fucking for Quentin, saying how how much of a better filmmaker. I mean, look look at how many more t- times Samuel. I mean, I know they he, he's worked with both equally, but look at how many more times he's worked with Quentin versus Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I agree. I 100 as a writer. And Candy, you're right yourself. I, I, I 100% agree. We have the ultimate freedom to have our characters, same as he does with his characters, to speak as they want freely. If they want to talk about, you know, dead nigger storage, if they want to talk about fucking 
and um, Fox Force Five, whatever they want to talk about, that's that's his right to make that film the way he wants to. But the one thing I, w- I do want to bring up, and I'm sure it'll come up later, but I'll, I'll do it now. Anybody notice that every single time Vince is in the bathroom, some bad shit happens? Yes. Yeah. Yes, like every single time Vince is in the bathroom, <laughs> bad shit happens, and not just yep. when yeah. in the toilet. It's just bad shit fucking happens. Yeah, I was reading reading up on this movie. That's what I kept coming across more than anything else was that bad shit happens whenever anyone goes to the bathroom. And I'm like, you know, I have, I have, I have, I have my toilet, I have my toilet issues as it is. I don't need any more. You know? so. I, I real real quick too want to bring this up, and this is something more more personal for me. Where um, so the this the second I think it's the first time he goes to the bathroom when you know Mia ODs when she snorts his heroin in that scene. Yes. And he's having that conversation with himself. So as you guys know, I have a very good friend of mine that, that passed away in December. Um, so I could tell the story now. She ain't going to get mad. She'll probably laugh up there. Whatever. Okay. So her and I were roommates for a very long time. And, you know, her and I both love Scarface. Right. But I kept telling her, have you ever watched Pulp Fiction? And she's like, no. I'm like, look, you really got to watch Pulp Fiction. I'm like, if you love Scarface, you're going to love Pulp Fiction. It's it's equally, you know, it's on the same level. It's it's actually better than, than Scarface. And I love Scarface, I do. Um, so I finally convinced her. I was like, look, let's just watch Pulp Fiction, please. Okay. So we're watching it. We're watching it. She's into it. Mia's OD scene happened. And then the scene where fucking Vince is taking her to Lance's house to get the adrenaline shot. When the needle is up, and you know it's in slow-mo, and we all know it was filmed backwards. Yes, filmed backwards. So when that needle is up, like, like you could fucking hear a pen drop in the room, or in the living room when we're watching it, and I see her, like, on the couch, like, going back and forth, back and forth like this, like, freaking the fuck out. Then when the needle comes down, she gets up, and she's like, that's it. I can't watch one more. I'm done. Like, she had such an anxiety attack just on that scene. That I that I had a, I had to share that because it was a good memory because b- before she died I busted her ass saying like wow you couldn't even finish Pulp Fiction but you can watch Scarface yeah 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 um, so it was yeah. just a good memory I, wa- I wanted to share with her yeah 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 definitely um Erica I'm gonna broach the topic of spiritual themes in this movie um one of my close friends who is a professor at the university uh, in my hometown was talking about this sort of um, Christian twin narrative that used to see in classic literature, but it shows up in this. So if you look at Vincent and Jules as sort of these, uh, sort of the twin figures of this, that in this type of narrative, you have these brothers who go out into the world and they experience things and they, they do some sinful things. But then at one point, one of them returns to his godly roots and the other one rejects godliness and then meets an ugly end which is exactly what we see happen with these two characters. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, you can definitely go down the whole rabbit hole of what's in the briefcase, whether it's uh, Marcellus' soul or whether it's, like, the embodiment of redemption or just what the characters desire, but that's that's a whole fascinating area of discussion as well. Um, I'll jump in here. Um, with the briefcase, it's something that people have to this day are still speculating on. And Quentin Tarantino just straight up said, uh, it's whatever you want it to be. And I like that. I like that answer because I don't want all the answers given to me. 
Uh, I like the one about it being Marcellus Wells's soul because it's just fucking funny because it just because he nicked himself shaving his head right there and he put the band aid there. But that's where you would take the soul from the body, um, you know, if but, you're... but then also that the briefcase code is six, six, six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like sold his but, soul to the devil or something like that. Right. There's also the whole thing of it could be the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. It could be so many things, but I just like that they just put a fucking orange uh, bulb in there and people <laughs> open it. It looks all like mystical and shit, and they're like transfixed on whatever's in there. I, I love that there's that, but um, I did want to talk about. Um, people say it's not really about anything. I think it's about a lot of things. This film is. Um, if you're familiar with uh, what it's referring to, Pulp Fiction, it's it's sort of. Uh, I used to read a little bit of it um, in, with EC Comics when you got into like the crime suspense story stuff, um, it's sort of like that. So it's like these vignettes of just these little bits of stories that have some crazy shit going on or crimes going down or some gore sometimes, you know, whatever there's going to be, but you know, they're, they're punchy and they're, they're fun, but you know, nobody's going to respect you for liking it basically was, was the whole gist of it. And I just think it was just, in a way, a return to classic film writing. Um, and as Nico was talking about, I am a writer. And uh, I want to just touch on, like, uh, you know, when we're addressing, like, Quentin Tarantino freely, non, in, and is not making him uncomfortable, even with a, a black wife, people talk like that. And if you are trying to fix how people would talk behind closed doors, then you're really not telling the story, are you? There is ugliness and there are words that are ugly that people use all the fucking time and it doesn't mean anything to them. And so as a writer, if you're afraid to go there, then you're just holding yourself back. I'm not saying that I condone the use of that in hate speech or that I think it's okay um, to to use that in a hateful, horrible, terrible, offensive way. I'm just saying, if we're telling a story, you're part of the story, and you have to be honest. And if he's anything, he's fucking honest about human beings. And sometimes, most of the time, they're a piece of shit. But I, mean, I love Jules' redemption arc. I love him at the end, you know, just saying, nah, I'm, I'm done with this shit. That was divine intervention. Vince is arguing with him because he's just a fucking heroine. Like I said, he's not bright. But, you know, Jules has, like, enlightenment. <laughs> Jules is a fucking enlightened motherfucker, you know? And I love that. And that's why I say motherfucker so much. Rob's the one that pointed out, like, what, two seasons ago that I say motherfucker all the time? It's because Jules is my favorite written character. Um, it's tied with another uh, one in a book. But, I mean, as far as, like, in filmdom, Jules is one of the best written characters. He's got a great arc. So, yeah, there is a story there. And, and um, Sean, I um, has watched it because um, somebody went and spliced it in chronological order. I'm like, why would you want to watch that? Ew, I would hate that because it takes away from the film. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to comment on that. Well, that that was my plan um, before you stole my thunder. Um, so, so two things, two two things I wanted to point out. First, Erica, you mentioned it. I was gonna I was gonna bring up the uh, the suitcase thing, um, and I I. This was something that we debated when we were younger, when this film came out, what was in the fucking briefcase. And the whole Marcellus Wallace soul thing was, you know, probably the big conspiracy theory going around at the time about this film. And it always struck me as is that's what it was, because, you know, don't get me wrong. Marcellus Wallace strikes me as the type that would <laughs> that would sell his soul to the devil and then try to double cross him yeah. to get it back. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, you know, that's one, th- one point I want to bring. And the other one was, so in 97 or 98, I had a friend who had done the whole, you know, hook up two VCRs and fucking edit uh, a tape. And he took all the scenes and he put them in chronological order. And I don't know, this was like some pet project he had or whatever, but he brought it over and we sat down and we watched it and it fucking sucked. (laughs) And this this movie is meant to be watched in the order that it's put together. Um, You know, there's some somebody a, a while back had put together a chronological order for, you know, all nine Star Wars films, but in a different order. And it just, you know, it it just it just doesn't play out the way that it's meant to play out. And this film plays out the way it's meant to play out, you know, as Quentin Tarantino decided it was to play out. No one, no other way. If I can jump in on that for one second, I just want to say I I think we learn the information as we're meant to learn it yeah. in the time period that we're meant to learn it. Yeah. Like Jules. You know, coming around and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to walk the earth. It was meant to be where it's placed in the film yeah. that that we get that information. So I think all the information is in the right place. Yeah. And if you go back and you watch the very first scene that we quoted at the beginning, um, you see John Travolta's character walking towards the bathroom mm-hmm. in the in the in the background. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's it's all it's all there in the chronological order that he meant it to be in. Yeah, we look yeah, the information. The very the very first sound you hear as the credits fade out is is Butch's is Zed's motorcycle. Zed's dead baby. Yeah, so the movie's like just a big Mobius strip. Right, exactly. I love it, Uh, Nico. Um, one of the things that I noticed with this movie, and I'm not trying to knock like people that that I'm friends with, that whatever, but I notice a lot of the um like hate for this movie is for people that just didn't get it. Yeah. Like they didn't just they didn't just really take the time to sit down, really watch the movie, pay attention to what's going on and just just kind of let the movie happen in front of them. Um, I have a friend to this day. She fucking shits on this movie left and right, like purposely <laughs> won't, won't even watch anything Quentin Tarantino because of how much she hated fucking Pulp Fiction what? because she didn't get it yeah. because it was it was too confusing. I don't understand this. And I said, you know, that's that that's part of like the great thing about the movie is the fact that you're left to your own devices and you have to use your own interpretation for things. I mean, you know, like we were talking about the briefcase. I mean, I'm of the belief that absolutely that's Marcellus Wallace's soul and that, you know, there was divine intervention when those when the bullets missed them, the both of them. Um, yeah. You know, that, that that was one thing is all what's in the briefcase. I'm like, what do you think? Well, I don't fucking know. OK, well, then I guess you're never going to fucking know. And and what 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 the fuck happened to Jules? Well, what do you think happened to Jules? Well, I don't fucking know. Okay then. So the, why why are you yelling at me? You know what I mean? Like I and I but I noticed like a lot of people that hate the movie they they say that they don't understand it. That's the same thing that I've seen. If I can just throw in before Dave goes because Dave's going to understand this quote probably the only person now that Sean's gone because <laughs> I quote it to Sean all the time. But Joel Hansen, who created Mystery Science Theater, he has a beautiful quote. He says the right people will get it. And you know what I'm talking about, Dave. The right people yeah, will get it. That's a mystery uh, science theater. Misty fans always say it. The right people will get it. And that's how it, it applies here so so clearly. The right people will get this. The wrong people? I uh, fuck them, I guess. I don't know, man. I, they're on their own. But anyway, uh, Dave. 
well, there's all kinds of different, you know, film. Some people like movies. They just like to put them on as sort of background noise or just sort of, you know, input for their visual cortex. And other people like to watch movies. I'm kind of in both camps. Sometimes I just want shit on to, like, be some noise. And sometimes I want to pay attention, you know. Uh, so I think I'm in both camps. But the, the, one, the thing I wanted to talk about was, so we were talking about uh, uh, Vincent and Jules as sort of the, um, the yin and the yang. Like, Vincent is very nihilistic. He's just in the whole hitman game for the money for the heroin and whatever else he spends his money on, his nice car, obviously. And where um, Jules um, comes to an epiphany about, you know, God and divine intervention. But the thing uh, uh, is uh, Bruce Willis's character, Butch, like we were saying how um, we think it might be Marcellus's soul in the briefcase. So Marcellus sold his soul to the devil. When we meet Butch, he is selling his soul to the devil, uh, who in this case is Marcellus. He's going to take a dive in the fifth. Your ass goes down in the fifth. Say it. And um, he, so he 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 um, he well, So at the beginning, when we first meet him, he's you know hit rock bottom. He's going to go ahead and throw away his boxing career for some money. But then when he finally when he uh, knocks out the gimp and escapes from the uh, the porn basement, you know he could just leave and leave Marcellus hanging there. You know with uh, Zed and, and uh, Maynard. Was it Maynard? I can't remember. Yes. But he he he's he he becomes the avenging sort of hero. He decides, you know what, I'm not going to leave him there, even though he wants me dead. He becomes sort of both halves. At first, he's selling his soul, and at the end of it, he redeems himself by going back down to the danger. I love the fact that he goes through the selection of weaponry. He can, you know, he gets the hammer, you know, the fucking chainsaw, and then he comes <coughs> across the, the samurai sword, which is hilarious. Uh, if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, you see all those references, you know, together. Right. Can I can I just add that Roger Avery, who who was the co-writer on this, admitted that uh, he was inspired by this uh, the, a similar scene in Phantasm Two to, to to come up with that scene, the the, the choosing of the weapons. And Phantasm Two, Reggie and uh, Mike break into a hardware store, and they they arm up to take on the tall man. And uh, Roger Avery is a huge uh, Phantasm fan, especially mm-hmm. Phantasm Two. So he was inspired by that scene to write that scene in Pulp Fiction where Butch is choosing which weapon he's going to use to save Marcellus. I love, I love that scene. I love Bruce Willis's acting in that because there's no dialogue. He's just like, he grabs the hammer and he swings it and he grabs the bat. And then when he grabs that little tiny chainsaw, he does kind of stabbing motion. Like, okay, this might work, you know, but then he sees the samurai sword and he goes back down and he saves Marcellus, the man who wants him dead above all others on earth. He wants him dead. And then the vice, and therefore saving his own life because you know he saves Marcellus' life. Marcellus lets him go. I like I like Butch's story arc there, you know, um, and then the fact that he rides off on Zed's bike, which was uh, what was her name? I forgot the bike had a name, Eloise uh, or something. I can't remember the name of the bike. Lucille? The bike had a. No way. I love. I just love. I love that. And then and again, like Lucille. I mentioned, we the, the very right. first thing. The very first thing we hear in the movie is that motorcycle, which, again, I think uh, emphasizes the importance of that scene. Yes. Um, I'm going to jump in here for a second. Speaking of Butch, um, I have, it was confirmed by Quentin Tarantino because we hear all oh, Vincent going on about how somebody keyed his fucking car. He's so pissed about it, somebody keying his fucking car. He goes on and on about it. But Quentin Tarantino confirmed that it was Butch that keyed his car. Which I think is funny. Um, we all know what happens between Bush and Vince. Um, but also, uh, I wanted to point out that Vincent Vega is the only character to appear in all of the vignettes. 
He's the only one that's in every single one. Only character. Which is probably why they considered him the lead. lead actor, but I, I wouldn't say that he was. And I also want to talk about our, uh, we haven't talked about Jackrabbit Slims, which I really love. <laughs> that was a lot of the budget went to building that set. I really love Jackrabbit Slims. I wish it was real. I would fucking go there all the time. We got a cameo from Steve Buscemi as fucking um, Buddy Holly. Um, you know, because of course he was Mr. Pink and Reservoir Dogs. And we have uh, Joe Pilato, our buddy from Day of the Dead. He was Dean Martin. I mean, there were just a lot of neat little cameos in there. And I love the discussion, just me being, you know, similar to Quentin Tarantino and like that I think in pop culture references. So he's, and, you know, they're talking about, oh, there's another Marilyn over there. She's like, no, that's Jane Mansfield. And I'm like, ah, yes, I knew that. Awesome. Somebody else fucking knows that. That's great. Uh, but, yeah. but, I'm sorry. No, no. Um, the Joe Pilato thing was also Roger Avery because he's a huge fan of Day of the Dead. He he is a mass. He he actually did a commentary on the Day of the Dead, uh, Anchor Bay special edition. Yeah. And he's a huge fan of Joe Pilato's uh performance in that one. How so the, that yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you if you don't think that? That's definitely how Pilato got in the film is that's because so of, amazing, of, right? That we have Jackrabbit Slims. I want it to be real. I want the five dollar shake, but I would get a Miss Nandy. I would not get um Martin and Lewis. Um, <laughs> I like chocolate. I like chocolate. But um, I want to talk about like uh, the dance scene, which is famous. She's like, I want to fucking win, you know. So they go up there. She takes off her shoes, of course, once again, her fucking feet. He didn't look <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm barefoot for Quentin tonight. Get horny. Um, I got big feet like she does. So, oh, anyways, yeah. so they go and they do the dance. I would do it if my back wasn't fucked. Um, they do the dance, and you got to, and you guys know, you guys all know that Quint, um, Quint, John Travolta is a fantastic dancer. We all know this. Mm-hmm. Live, Reese. I mean, just everything. He's a really fantastic dancer, and so he had to kind of play his dancing down in this but he was still phenomenal the way he moves like you know you can when he starts to like you know twist and move and you're like damn he's still like he's downplaying his dancing but it's still really fucking amazing he's really really good and um so Uma Thurman was completely like like I can't dance with him he's too good but you know if obviously they pulled it off and you know uh, I like the little note they don't really refer to it but they won clearly the, the dance but I, I just love Jackrabbit Slims yeah be uh that's a rectangle. She makes a rectangle. It's a rectangle. It's a rectangle. Don't be a rectangle. So I say that. Um, okay. Uh, okay, Erica. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, what was I? Oh, I wanted to mention uh, about uh, Bruce Willis, uh, Butch character. He's not the most self-aware character. Um, when, when his girlfriend asks him what what his name means, he's like, "I'm American. Our names don't mean shit." Well, he's, <laughs> he's the only one whose name clearly means something, and he matches. Like Butch just means masculine. He's extremely masculine. Like that's just a funny detail to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other. Um, oh, uh, so we were talking about the uh, Travolta's character, Vincent. Like, how the hell is he a professional hitman? He his gun safety sucks. Is this just because he's <laughs> high, like high all the time that that he's making these stupid mistakes? Like he's just not the brightest person. Like I don't know. I just think that someone who's a professional hitman would know their gun safety and not accidentally shoot someone in the face. The <laughs> brain. <laughs> well, to to kind of touch on that real quick, I I was today years old <laughs> when I found out that the the scene 
when Butch kills Vincent in the bathroom when he grabs that Mac-10 off the the counter. I I didn't I, I always thought that that was John Travolta's gun and that he had just left it there. Apparently that belonged to Marcellus Wallace who had just stepped out to get donuts and coffee, which we see uh, later when he leaves. And I, for some reason, had never put the two together. I had always assumed that it was it was Vincent's Mac-10, and he left it there so he could go take a poo. I, I had the same exact <laughs> experience today. Today, I, I learned that today. Um, that's, same that's, exact experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, it like, makes total sense. It makes total sense. I'm, I'm just, we're just idiots, I guess, you know, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, which is fine. Idiots. <laughs> movie is rich it has layers um nico layers speaking of, of uh, layers and rich um i don't think we can deny the um the impact that this had on cinema literally literally right after it came out i mean there was to this day there's still pulp fiction ripoffs coming out i mean some better than i think honestly if if, if i had to pick one and uh, i i really think it's a pulp fiction ripoff the Boondock Saints is 100% influenced by Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could you could you could tell by the out of sequence things, the dialogue, the the violence, the comedy. You know, I, I mean, if I if, if I had to pick one, it would be the Boondock Saints movies would probably be the best of the the bunch to come out of this. I mean, I I, I feel like a lot of um filmmakers decided to get grittier with their films and get more talky with their films i mean i remember there was even a film that came out like not too long after this one i think it's called um two days in the valley that's got jeff daniels in it like i yeah. like that was a direct influence from from pulp fiction whether they want that, that was the first time and that was the first time that charlize theron i think was in a film that, that was her first um movie so you know it, it's well the one that that, that she's showing is introduced on there from i remember from the from the casting on it yeah, yeah, that's the one that really made her known. But her first movie actually was uh, Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Oh, <laughs> and what a film it was. See, you see, oh, yeah. Yeah, seriously. What, what, a, what a career move to not to not do the fourth one. Um, but no, seriously. <laughs> she was busy. Naomi, um, Naomi, would, Naomi, Watts, Naomi Watts was actually in the fourth one, so um, oh, uh, well, the, yeah, the Children yeah, of the right. Corns, the Children of the Corn series is really blowing up people, you know. <laughs> which, which I mean, really, and this, and this actually ties in with that, actually. So with the Miramax dimension, I mean, really, I know they were they were a thing prior, but I don't I don't think it was until this came out that they really, really hit pay dirt with with attracting bigger stars and bigger bigger directors was was after the like pulp, pulp fiction not not and not just on on film and and you know from miramax's uh, history also i mean look at the pop culture references that came on after this i mean even a kid's movie like space jam references when when um so not sylvester uh, yosemite sam and, and elmer fudd do jewels and, and vents from pulp fiction like that that says a lot that kids shows kids movies were referencing this movie like the, the the impact is, I mean we're we're still feeling it today. I mean the movie's almost it's almost thirty years old. If uh, I'm not mistaken, right? Like Another three years. Yeah, but like I mean that. the, the oh, and, and the great thing me. about this too, the really good thing, except for the cell phones, mm. the movie's kind of timeless. There there really isn't a a time frame that there's no there's no, you know what I mean? There's no there's no year that like you have to be like oh well when does this take place because it it, it didn't need that. Like his other films needed, so that's that's one of the things I think that still works for the movie is that it's it's actually a timeless movie. 
Well, I'm, I'm sorry. You brought up uh, Boondock Saints, and I just have to get this off my chest. I can't walk down to the gas station to get a pack of smokes without running into <laughs> nine guys you fucked. I fucking love that movie. It's not true, though. <laughs> I love that movie, too. I love, I love the both of them. They're, they're yeah. both good. Okay, uh, Rob. I would also like to add to uh, Pulp Fiction ripoffs. Uh, Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Oh, I love oh. that fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the things to do in Denver with your dad is, is, is a, such a fantastic movie, which also has Steve Buscemi in there as yes. the, the best name character, Mister Shh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but uh, what the fuck was I gonna say now? Ah, fuck. I forgot. <laughs> I keep forgetting what the fuck I was gonna say. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted to talk about Bruce Willis' performance in here because uh, I don't think we really focused on Bruce Willis' performance, uh, like mainly uh, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson. But uh, like, I mean, we we sit there talk a lot how Bruce Willis has given up. He doesn't give a shit about acting anymore. Hasn't given a shit about acting in probably fifteen years. Um, the last movie I think where he really put in effort was fucking uh, Looper, but. Uh, uh, yeah, he 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 sleeps, walks through everything. Me and Mac were talking about a movie we recently watched of his. Uh, what was it? Hard Kill, uh, where he was just like he 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 didn't even fucking try. And um, I, I, I think people forget how just good an actor Bruce Willis is, and he's he's fantastic in this movie. You know, because because he really has like the the the, the most serious role of in it in a. You know, he has to deal with a lot of emotion in his character, you know, because he's trying to get away after he fucking takes Marcellus Wallace money and he doesn't lose. He actually not only beats the guy, but he kills the guy he fucking kills him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then like he thinks he's scot free with his girl and then but she forgot his fucking father's watch. And uh, I love that line, Fabian, that's my father's fucking watch. You had any idea what he had to go through to get me that watch? I don't have time to go into it now, but he went through a lot. Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but he's so fucking great in the movie. Like, you know, even it's just, just like where he's playing the silent, you know, the, the silent moments of his world. He's just fucking great. And, uh, you know, I don't think Bruce Willis gets a lot of credit because he's always getting overshadowed by Travolta and... <clears throat> Jackson and uh, a lot of everybody else, but uh, Bruce Willis is fucking great in the movie. Like, you know, uh, like, 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 who said it was a Dave said it was his arc in the movie. Um, yeah, it's a really fantastic arc he has. Like, you know, uh, you know, he starts it off with, like when we first see him, uh, he's taking money to lose a fight, and he decides oh, I'm not going to lose this fight, and then. Uh, uh, he gets caught up in the situation. They get kidnapped and shit. And fucking Marcellus Wallace is getting raped, uh, which we have not mentioned yet. Uh, I is it. oh, did you? Beginning, yes. Oh, uh, that was the yeah. part where my dad walked out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which which is crazy, you know. And uh, like like Dave said, he he has the ability to walk away because this guy wants him dead. But he's like, no. I'm going to go back and I'm going to save him because because, you know, maybe it'll redeem me, but also maybe it'll like it'll buy me some like some time, you know, and I and and of course it does. Uh, Marcellus Waltz is like, you know, you, you stay gone and you be gone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 
you lost your LA privileges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's it. Like, you know, they're 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 fucking done right there. They're 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 finished, you know. He's not gonna come after him because, you know, he came back for me, you know. But they're never uh, gonna talk uh, about it and they're never gonna see each other. Yeah, you know, ever again, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, and the way Bruce Willis plays that scene, well, of course, with Ving Rhames, who's an incredible actor. Uh, but like, yeah, Bruce Willis is fucking awesome in the movie. And uh, I, th- I think it's, you know, a testament to how good an actor he really is when he tries. And obviously he doesn't try anymore because he's looking for a fucking paycheck and he's director video movies. You know, these, these, these fucking. Well, look at Nick Cage. He was doing that, too, but he came back. No, but Nick Cage actually makes an effort. Bruce Willis does not. Like if Nick you've Cage seen, Bruce... wasn't trying too hard for a minute. Well, Bruce... <laughs> he is no, now. I mean, watch, watch he Willy's Wonderland. That, that'll that'll change your whole perspective. Like, no, he's trying now, but he wasn't. No, Nick Cage is one of those actors where he doesn't really have to try. He's just that good. Like Bruce Willis really does not give a fuck anymore. You know, he sleeps, walks through every fucking role ever like if, if you see that movie hard kill on netflix it's like he's he's fucking the zombie like the, the man is just not even there and it's just like it's sad you know saying to, 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 to go back and watch a uh, bruce willis in a, in a movie like this where he's like really making an effort and you know contrasted with now and he's just like well who gives a fuck five million dollars a day fee that i asked for you know, and it's just like I just I just wanted to mention that the, I th- I think Bruce Willis is 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 one of the more unheralded heroes of this movie. Well, um, with me being next, I would like to talk about that. Actually, I thought Bruce Willis was genius in this. I thought he was fantastic as Butch. That part where he, you know, he's like, "Well, did you get everything from the house that you you mentioned? Did you get my father's watch? Yeah." And it was a little kangaroo, right? Yeah, you know, and his girlfriend, you know, who he clearly loves to death. But he, then he freaks the fuck out. And you know he killed the guy. You know, so you're sitting there watching him just, like, throw everything and scream at her. And she's in the corner, like, crying. And he's like, it's okay, honey. You didn't mean it. It's okay. I should have I, I should have done it myself. It's, it, no, don't worry. You get some pancakes, honey. I love you. And he gets the girl, stupid fucking bitch. Freaking the fuck out. Why is that me every time I go to the store? Fuck you. Because um, <laughs> you don't listen. <laughs> yes. Never listen to me. Um, no, and because but, uh, you had a mustache. Yeah, like what Rob was saying. I mean, it was just this great, beautiful transition and great acting. Like to go from that to, honey, it's okay. And then go in the car and just punching and screaming, you know. Like, <clears> I guess, <throat> I don't know what men do, but maybe that's what they do. Oh, when that's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Just so you know. Yeah. Spoiler. That's where all our tools so, are in the garage. <laughs> speaking of, uh, you know, because you love your wife, you're or girlfriend or partner and you don't want to you're like oops sorry about my temper and you're like oh okay but anyway but we need to talk about Uma Thurman here um I like how later on it was uh I think maybe after the Kill Bills came out which of course she started and was amazing and Uma Thurman's a phenomenal actress but um and somebody asked Ethan Hawke, like, would you ever do a Quentin Tarantino movie? He's like, I don't know. He's too in love with my wife to ever cast me. Um, <laughs> um, especially her feet. If I have to look at her feet one more second time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, she's really, really great here um, to, to play this role. I mean, and she didn't want to do it. She turned the role down initially. And Quentin was so desperate to have her. Um, 
the desperation you read into that however you want. But uh, <laughs> he called her and read her the entire script over the phone. And she finally is like, okay. <laughs> Even And then later on during the Kill Bill uh, films, he would almost kill her in a stunt. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's just like, but she forgave him for that. But, I mean, it's just like, but here is where the relationship began. And she's so amazing. I'm so glad that he did get her. I can't imagine anyone else playing Mia. And Mia is such a quirky chick. And I love the concept of Fox Force 5, um, which I think we got a better taste of in Kill Bill. Um, and it's sort of a different version. Or Angel's Revenge on Mystery Science Theater. That's but yeah, but uh, you know, um, I loved that. Oh well, she did a pilot. What the fuck's a pilot? You What's know, like pilot? she's so quirky. Like you know, don't be. Uh, you know, she has all these neat little. She's just like that quirky chick that you never met anybody like that before. But you you either wanted to date her or you wanted to be her. You know, there was something about her that was just so unusual. And you're like, what is the the, the how does this marriage work? Because Although they're married and we do see them together in scenes, they never speak to each other. Not once Marcellus and Mia in the, in the movie, they never speak to each other in the movie. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, yeah. Cause she's a trophy wife. That's why she's yeah. a trophy wife, but you know, but she's just such a quirky character. You're never a hundred percent sure what she's going to do, what she's really thinking, what is going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just love how her performance in this. And I loved, um, her other performances with Quentin, but yeah, this is, this was the one that made me go, wow, like what a, what a great character. Like I couldn't even take my eyes off of her. I couldn't, I was so interested and so mystified and, and it was just really fascinating. So I wanted to shout her out uh, while we're shouting out Bruce Willis. Uh, there's so many people we could shout yeah. out, but I really wanted to talk about Uma Thurman for a minute. And, and all rounded out with that stupid ass ketchup joke at the end. Yeah. And you're just like, after everything they went oh, through that man. fucking night, that's how it ends. Right. So how the joke go? And she's like, man, I just got an adrenaline shot in my heart and I OD. She's all fucking she's strung like, out. Like, oh, she's got his jacket and a fucking trophy, you know, that they wanted. How the, how the joke end? And so she finished it. And then you're just kind of like, oh, God. Yeah. That's even in this scene, but it works. It works so well. Yeah, it fits her character well. Definitely. Uh, Nico. So is it a bit of um karmic? You want to call it that um, justice that Steve Buscemi's Mr. Pink does not believe in tipping. And here he comes as Buddy Holly at a restaurant as a fucking waiter. Yes. He has to rely on tips and to get paid. And he hates being a, a waiter, too. And, and you could tell, yeah, you could tell, like, he was so fucking pissed off. But I guess he was supposed to play Jimmy initially, but there was um schedule conflicts. And Tarantino really wanted him in the fucking movie, so that's what they decided on was a was a brief little cameo but i just think it's really funny that it happens to be a fucking waiter yeah <laughs> you know compared to what he what he did in, in um reservoir dogs um because if we count it really um we may talk about reservoir dogs at some point but I what i hope so well we'll see if you play your cards right but mr pink's really the only one that sort of maybe we don't know gets away yeah, Mr. Pink is my favorite sparks. character in there. Yeah. One thing I think is cool, too. You know, he was a one, one thing with this real quick I do want to bring up, because um, I'm always like the merchandising guy, like this this movie still um, has quite a bit of merchandise that's that's available. and It's it's actually never stopped since the movie came out, and it just kind of came out of left field. 
with actually i don't really think it came out of left field i mean i think once it won the um the major award at con i think that was that was pretty much it right like i mean it was pretty much off to the races and it had all this hype behind it and i mean it's one of the few movies i think that still lives up to its hype even 30 years later it's aging gracefully and i think that ties into with his um his statement that he made where he's like i'm not making movies for now i'm making movies for 10 15 20 30 years from now so my kids this, fucking love this movie right and it's it's almost 30 sorry i'm putting more grays in my beard as well as everybody else's hair well, here but Nico, you and i are the same age so <laughs> we are we are but i mean it's the movie's almost 30 and it's still relevant and it still holds up yeah my kids like i said my kids love it and they're hard to please um yeah mac um, I just want to go back to Steve Buscemi. I think I brought this up when me and my brother Rob were talking about uh, Desperado, how like this movie, Reservoir Dogs, Desperado, he was like a gritty character, but now he rolls with Adam Sandler and the crew and everyone thinks he's so funny and forgets that this man did some wild movies back in the day. Yeah, they might have been low parts, but they were they were total opposite of what he's doing now and being Mr. Funny God. And I've all and I always like that about Steve Buscemi because most people think he run with Adam Sandler and company, all he could do is jokes. But nah, he he he's got a, a nice repertoire of movies. Well yeah, his character in fucking Con Air, man. The fucking camp. What is that? Gar exactly. was it Garland Green? Garland Green, yeah. He didn't yeah. Even say much, you know what I mean? It, it, with that role, but People were like, oh, man, Steve Buscemi, he's one of the Adam Sandler crew. Like, that's all he can do. Wait, hold on. What's, what's, the, what's the fucking movie he played in that Candy keeps referencing to Sean? Uh, the, well, hey, youngsters, how you oh, doing? Yeah. The, Hello, uh, fellow kids. <laughs> with the skateboard. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Was, was that, was that, was that uh, uh, Billy, Madi- Billy. Billy Madison? Yeah. Yes. No, Billy yeah. Madison, he was the fucking. No, Billy Madison, uh, he's the assassin. Yeah, he's the he's the one that Bill, Billy used to bully. Yeah, I don't know what, what fucking movie it is. That was one of that was one of the later ones, but I can't remember which one. I just one, I just know uh, I always use it because I'm I'm a 41 year old fucking skateboarder, and and that that totally is me. Because when I go to the skate park, I'm surrounded by like 16 year old kids, and I'm like trying to be cool with them, but like I'm older than their dads. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I just want to say real quick. I know this is definitely off topic, but. There's a Twizzler commercial where the guy's sitting passenger and he's like, is it too late for me to start skateboarding? And my wife laughs because she's like, yo, that's you, bro. You're probably sitting in the passenger seat thinking it was too late to start that. <laughs> Dude, just trust me. I went through this whole phase like a year and a half ago before before I start skating like again. Oh, okay. It's 30 Rock. Yeah, I just looked it up now. Before, before I started skateboarding, I actually like actually Googled like skateboarding in my 40s <laughs> to see if like it was a thing like i tried it when i was younger and then rob knows i, I thought i was tony hawk and then uh my skateboard got ran over by a car and that kind of ended that one yeah oh yeah you and chucks was trying to get it in with the skateboards i was trying man i had my ufos on i thought i was popping <laughs> <laughs> I remember them days. <laughs> Yo, no lie, I bought a pair of UFOs not too long ago just so I can have a pair. <laughs> okay, um, I guess that brings it back to me. Uh, and, uh, talking about the other performances, I, I love uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, um, played by Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer. 
Amanda Plummer, is, she's got a unique look, and she's just great at playing batshit crazy characters. And I really love the exchange when Jules has his enlightenment. And he's like, Ringo, give me my wallet. Take what's in there. Go. Get out of here. You know, tell the bitch to be cool. <laughs> and then Vince comes out like, he ain't going to do a goddamn thing. Point the gun back at me. Point the gun back at me. But, you know, they were they were an interesting, like, sort of, you know, intro. And then we see them, you know, that whole scene again. And then how it plays out. And I just love its part in something that was bigger than it. Sort of almost a wraparound if, you know, this is not in chronological order. We see more of those characters. But I, I love Amanda Plummer. Love Tim Roth. And who, if you've seen Reservoir Dogs, which I think all of us have, um, Tim Roth is fucking stellar. I mean, stellar, dude. Like, what? He's just a consummate actor. And um, Amanda Plummer's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, she's great. She's really great. She tends to be typecast as a character actress, but she does well with that. And um, it works so well here. And, you know, Jules' interaction with them is, is one of my favorite moments. You know, Jules' enlightenment moment is, is my favorite, probably. She's going to walk the earth. And walk the earth. <laughs> <laughs> which which is ironic because that's exactly what he does when he shows up in Kill Bill. He's a fucking drifter. Yeah. Playing the piano. Tarantino verse. Um, All connected. Okay, uh, Dave. Uh, just regarding Amanda Plummer real quick. Uh, one of the best things I've ever read uh, in a movie review was from, uh, I think it was Roger Ebert for The Fisher King, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. If you want to watch me cry like a little girl, watch The Fisher King with me. Oh, my God. Yes. My mother. But but, but I think it was Roger Ebert described Amanda Plummer as the prom queen from Mars. And there's (laughs) never been to me. There's never been a more apt description of an actress. She's so strange. That's my first note here. Amanda Plummer is so strange. She's she's such a she brings such a weird energy, you know, and I just I love her. I love the fact that it opens with her and uh, Tim Roth, who is also amazing. Another movie I love is um, Rob Roy. Which I don't know if it, it, it yes, but it, but his character in that is it, Tim Roth in that movie is one of the most uh, uh, visceral embodiments of evil I've ever seen in a film. Is his character in Rob Roy? He's such a great actor, and uh, I do love that. Very underrated too. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. But I just think I think I think people overlook Tim Roth's performance in it. He's just this this venomous, just absolutely evil, nihilistic. Just I I can't think of the words, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about pro, the prom queen from Mars, which I think is one of the best things I've I ever like read. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when when you talk about Tim Roth, like that's he is he is the one that really sold me on Reservoir Dogs. Like he's I I love that film, but the whole scene where he's bleeding in the back of the car with Harvey Keitel, mm-hmm. and then they get to the warehouse, and I'm fucking dying here. Like Never. that. He is he is so fucking amazing. In everything I've ever seen him in. Yes. I, I love Tim Roth. Okay, uh, it is time for Sean's Judy Reviews. Oh, and, and I was actually surprised that there were some, a <laughs> lot of, there were actually a lot of shitty reviews for this. The people who didn't get it, you mm. missed that. But yeah, the people who, yeah, didn't, yeah, the people who didn't get it. <laughs> and you'll of see co- that. Of, of course there's shitty reviews. There are people out there who just fucking hate for no reason. Yeah, right, right. They want places to put their hate. So, so these are all one star reviews. Um, I just want to lay that out right up, right off at the gate. Um, this is from Smoke. Honestly, do people talk and behave this way? 
golly, everyone is falling all over themselves about this one. Why, please? It's silly, violent, nihilistic, pointless. And every character has the same way of talking, talking about clever things in that pseudo way that only Quentin could possibly dream up. Ooh, the talent. Pass. This next one is from Kojosh. What? Where? Who cares? Wow. A lot of people have been fooled into believing that this was a great film. I've never seen anything like it, and I hope I never will again. This is one slop of a film, and I'm disgusted to know that it has so many high reviews. It was a confusing ball of goo that amounted to nothing. I didn't care for the characters and never will. What a hopeless bunch of freaks. I don't jump on the freak bandwagon unless they're natural ones, not arrogant embodiments of deranged entertainment. This next one is from Possum 3. Is Revulsion now entertainment? I personally find this film to be a milepost on the decline of American society. This is a film in which murderers are our heroes and endear themselves to us with witty banter between their bloody exploits. It features such entrancing scenes as countless murders, S&M rape, drug overdose, and other fun things to watch. Parentheses. It's a wonder Six Flags hasn't opened a thrill ride to capture the whole experience. <laughs> it features all manner of completely unredemptive characters doing cruel, inhumane, or brutal things to each other. Is this entertainment? Snowflake. Yeah. And last but not least, from Cutter 12, a one-line summary is too much for this overrated piece of shit. And then continues to write three paragraphs. The movie that defines the sensibilities of Generation X. That is to say its values are worthless, the story is lurid and overextended, the writer-slash-director is overwhelmingly self-indulgent and tacky. Parentheses. <laughs> Any revelations to do with Christianity are twisted by Tarantino to fit his obscene sense of morality. (laughs) 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 Violence is absolutely incredulous and the originality to do with nonlinear plot lines and everything else is greatly exaggerated. Parentheses. Try watching some early Kubrick to get an idea where he ripped it off. Okay. Hell, hell, try watching 50 other trashy independent exploitation flicks from the 50s and 60s to see how much originality Tarantino has. Wow. Uh, uh, go watch your Veggie Tales, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are these are people that these are people that prefer Kirk Cameron films. Yeah. <laughs> you could tell there was some strong Christian energy on that one. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean to Christians, but like, if you're that upset, like, do you really think leaving a review at IMDb is going to change us? Well, Eric, going to turn to God. Eric has disparaged every other religion in the world, so <laughs> why not? Which is, which is why I love her. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, not really, but uh, I mean, I, I, I got, I got very strong. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I got very strong Mormon vibes from that reviewer who said, golly. They can't say gosh or, you know, God, God. especially. G. Willikers. Golly. Golly. Really? Okay. So, uh, uh, do we move into reviews? I, does anybody have anything else that they want to touch on? Any topics? 
Make I think so. But I'm putting my hand up now for the review for after you guys. <laughs> uh, so I'll go into my review. Uh, my review is not going to surprise anyone. Um, I loved how I was in- immersed in this movie, knowing nothing about it, because I didn't pay attention to anything, like I said, besides makeup and drugs. Um, when I was 15, and uh, so you know, but I knew about the horror movies because I'm a horror, you know, nerd. But, um, but yeah, so I was immersed in this, knowing nothing, heard nothing, and that was the best fucking way. And seeing it in the theater with all these people, and I'm laughing, and these people are kind of like looking at me askance. I'm like, what is? I don't know what I was expecting, but I'm laughing, and I don't know how to feel about it, but I'm gonna laugh because it's fucking hilarious to me. Like, if I fucked up, well, maybe. Well, this person's fucked up too. Quentin Tarantino, who I knew nothing about, was fucked up too. So obviously this gets a 10 out of 10 packs of red apple cigarettes uh, for me. Uh, it, it it's it's one of those movies. If you if you watch my YouTube uh, episode uh, about Night Living Dead, I talk about how I walked in. You know, you know I walked out um, when we watched Night Living Dead the first time when I was seven. I walked in the door and I looked outside and I thought the world looked different. But it was because I was different. And when I walked out of this movie, it was the same feeling. Um, I didn't know anything about it, but suddenly I knew everything about it. And I walked out and I thought the world looked different, but I was different. Like I said at the beginning. So I don't want to repeat too much. It's just phenomenal fucking movie. One of my favorite movies. Um, we know what my favorite, favorite movie is. If we're just talking non-horror, I have to, I have to break it into genres. Um, this movie kind of transcends genre. Um, but yeah. This is this is uh, one of my favorites. I can I'm never tired of it. Never ever. All these years, and I'm still fucking watching. It. I'm showing it to my kids. I fucking love it. Uh, ten out of ten. Red packs, red apple cigarettes. And I'm gonna jump right in and say uh, I give it a nine point five out of ten. S&M Rape, it only gets 9.5 out of 10 because I like Reservoir Dogs better. But that does not that does not take away – it's not an absolutely perfect film, but it is absolutely amazing. Um, it is the, – the cast is phenomenal. It's a memorable film. Dialogue is fantastic in this. Um, I, I do love this film. Uh, I've seen this movie – a hundred times um and it just you know everybody in this in this film fired on all cylinders uh tarantino's great i'm glad he made this film i'm glad he filmed it the way he filmed it um you know disjointed the way that it is because it just makes the film that much more enjoyable so 9.5 out of 10 Nico. all right so 10 out of 10 bad motherfucker wallets this is my all-time favorite movie this is the movie that made me want to become a filmmaker this this actually solidified i knew what i wanted to do with the rest of my life after seeing this movie that it changed me from that from that first and second viewing back to back with that um i i dare say and i and i really hope that the reference definitely comes comes through with this quentin tarantino is to filmmaking what eminem is to hip-hop the goat (laughs) or or one of the goats like definitely should be in the category on the Mount Rushmore of greatest of all time for anything, you know. Um, 
are there better directors than Quentin Tarantino? Of course there are. I mean, we, you know, we have George Lucas, we have Robert Rodriguez, we have Steven Spielberg, but there's something about this guy and it, you know, showed with this movie. I'm pointing to my poster. That's why I keep looking over there because it's right within my eye view right there. Up Pulp Fiction. <laughs> um, you know, the, the dialogue is, is on fire on this. The soundtrack is great that he uses a lot of like old school, like seventies, um, eighties, like, like funk. I love that. Even like 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 the surfer music because it's in SoCal. Uh, um, even like the city of of Los Angeles and where they're at is very much a character that we didn't really touch on with with this, which is fine because there's a lot going on in this movie for for nothing going on in the movie. So it's it's almost like like a very adult version of Seinfeld. Yes. Where it's it's a movie about nothing, but like there's so much going on. Um, it's also, is at the same time a movie about everything? Yeah. Um, God, what I even keep, I mean, the, you know, he, he launched careers with this. I mean, Uma Thurman and Samuel Jackson alone became superstars after this. He, you know, revived John Travolta's career, and it's been a continuous theme in his films where he revives careers with, you know, the next, um, the next thing that he puts out. Um, the man is a genius, point blank. I mean, people call him a ripoff artist. They're just pissed off because they they can't be him. They're not on that level of of what he can do. I mean, he's him and I mean, honestly, I, and I said this the last time, him and Kevin Smith are like the blueprint for anybody that wants to become a filmmaker. Those two are your guys to look at. These are guys that didn't go to film school. They just fucking put the hustle to the muscle. They did what they had to do, and now look at the both of them. That that's something that I I want to follow in. Even still, in my 40s, I still want to follow. In that that the footsteps of the two of them for what how they did it, um, Trailblazer, iconic. I mean, you're right. The Oscars fucked this movie royally, all because of Forrest Gump. Realistically, that's really what it was. That that fucked this movie up. If that never would have happened, and be honest with you, like I really, I mean, Forrest Gump is what it is. I'm not a big fan of the movie compared to this one. This is this is the one. They definitely got it wrong. This should have been. I had my this, choice. <laughs> this 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 should have been the one that won everything that year when it came out. There's there's no ifs ands or buts. Everything in this movie was fucking spot on with it. But yeah, ten out of ten, bad motherfucker wallets. It's my favorite movie of all time. If I could have given this like a hundred out of ten, I I would. But you know, yeah, ten out of ten. It's flawless. Okay, um, Mac. I am gonna give this movie a nine point five out of ten disrespectful Julius drinking my man Sprite. And um, <laughs> the reason why it gets a 9.5 is it's pretty simple. It did spark my love for movies that make you think and movies that you have to pay attention for. Now, like Sean said, he Quentin Tarantino definitely had some other movies that I prefer a little bit more, Reservoir Dogs and Glorious Bastards. But uh, this movie definitely put me down the path of movies that I like where you got to pay attention and think. Okay, um, Erica. Uh, so I was tempted to dock half a point from this just because I'm not a big fan of watching Tarantino as an actor. <laughs> I kind of wish he would not act in his own movies or in most movies, period, especially when he puts himself next to these heavy hitters like Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson and, and like people who are really excellent actors. However, there are so many great things about this movie that I'm going to forgive that little complaint that I have and give it 10 out of 10 milkshakes, $5 milkshakes. <laughs> yeah. 
I will give it a 8.5 out of 10 Samurai Swords. Um, it uh, still holds up. Um, not as much as his other movies do, in my opinion, like Jackie Brown. Uh, and Glor- Mac mentioned Inglorious Bastards, of course. Uh, Hateful Eight. I-, I think I even prefer Once Upon a Time in Hollywood over this at this point. <laughs> Um, I, I, you know what it is. I've watched it so many times as a kid. Uh, I, I rarely return to it now because I know it like the back of my hand. Um, but uh, it, it still works on all fronts. Uh, the acting is great. The uh, the script is great. Uh, Tarantino's direction is great. So, uh, yeah. Uh, eight point. What, what did I say? Eight point five. Yeah. Eight point five out of ten samurai swords. Um, good review. Okay, Dave. 10 out of 10 gimps on a chain. Trying to pick a, a favorite Tarantino film is for me, it was like trying to pick a favorite George Romero film, especially when you talk about the big three zombie films that he did. But uh, I, I love this movie. This, this is the movie. This is the movie that would have inspired me to be a filmmaker if I wasn't so lazy. Like this movie is what it shows you what a person with passion and knowledge can do. Uh, if they put their heart and spirit into it, you know, this is Tarantino. Like I remember back in the day, I remember when this came out and this and Reservoir Dogs, people were like bad mouthing Tarantino. Oh, he's just a flash in the pan or he just, he just, he just, he just makes, you know, a violent porn and stuff like that. And he's proven them wrong with Inglorious Bastards, which is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And his latest um, uh, Once Upon a Time in um, Hollywood, uh, which um, I think is maybe his best film. Uh, film. Um, I love the fact that he keeps proving them wrong. The thing about Tarantino, when you see him in interviews and, and stuff, he's sometimes a little hard to like. He's a little off-putting. He's a little weird. You know, um, he's a little full of himself. But, you know, if I was Tarantino, I'd be full of my fucking self, too. You know, fuck. Motherfucker made Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> Don't waste the bank. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, 10 out of 10. I love this movie. Watching it today to prepare for the podcast again was a pleasure. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, yeah, and I, I can't say enough. I love, I love Tarantino. He's our generation's, you know, Scorsese. He, he just came yeah. out of nowhere, and just proved everybody wrong. And I love the fact that so many people hate him because of that. He's not film school educated. He's not, you know, he didn't come out of Juilliard or, you know, the, the, the actor studio. He just fucking knows his movies and he, he and he makes stuff that makes us uh, enjoy it. That's a beautiful review. And I'd just like to say, yeah, he learned how to make movies by watching a lot of movies. And I, that's something that we can all, that we all love to do here on this show. And we've spoken about it so much. Like we watch movies because we love movies. And that's all he did was love movies and say, I want to make one of my own and maybe another one. And then maybe another one. And, and he's learned shit as he went, but he jumped fucking feet first in and you got to appreciate that. And uh, and then just to for a sec, you know, a second movie out of the gate um, to go get to win an Oscar for his, you know, his phenomenal writing. So, you know, the glowing reviews, I, I'm happy with these reviews. Um, but on that note, we're going to start talking. I'm going to mention uh, what we have coming up. Uh, we're going to as this is a horror podcast, we are doing you know these little horror business ones, uh, which have horror ties. And we all know what the tie is with this film. It's Death Proof. Um, Planet Terror. Planet Terror. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. He's in, yeah. There's a lot of ties. I mean, this one is pretty obvious, but I thought I'd point that out. Coming up, we have The Hills Have Eyes. 
the Bad Seed, the black and white version. American Werewolf in London, we're going to do Halloween 2018. We have Ghoul's Night Out coming up. Uh, our next horror business will be Goodfellas. And I'm so excited for that. And that's that's another film that that glorifies, you know, uh, crime and gangsters and violence. All these things that tend to go hand in hand with horror. So we're not really too off the mark. That's why if we're going to cover other films that aren't put in the horror section, if video source still existed, um, you know, at least they have ties. And so Goodfellas will be our next horror business. I've got a boner about it. Uh, <laughs> talk more on that later. Not about my boner, but about the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, we have great um, horror movies coming up. Horror business. Ghoul's Night Out will be making a triumphant return because um, it's been a minute since we've done one. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so happy that we got to talk about this film. It just means clearly a lot to all of us, um, or at least sparked us into something, you know, to more things that we love from Tarantino. And we will be, Tarantino's going to come back up. I'll just say that on the show. Um, he, he frequently makes it in our horror combos, but, you know, just uh, maybe we'll be doing more Tarantino movies. I don't know. Check your schedules. Um, so uh, I'm just going to do plugs, my plugs. Um, just keep it simple. Everything that you need to know or find about the house that screams or Kenny final girl is at Linktree linkpr.ee slash candy the final girl and you can find me on instagram and twitter uh sean of the dead uh rob of course you can find me at linktree as well link uh tr.ee slash the cinema drunkie where you can find all the links for this show the action drunkies um everything else uh, i just wanted to shout out my brother mike from Atkins Undisputed, who's going through a really tough time. I won't get into it right now, but uh, shout out to my brother, Mike. I love you, bro. Okay. Uh, Erica? Uh, find me on Instagram at My Horrific Life and uh, my website, MyHorrificLife.com. Okay. Uh, Mac? Uh, my link trading upright. So just quick, going to thank all the fans for listening. Follow these awesome people that you see here are here, here. Uh, definitely check out me and my brother at the Action Drunkies. Be on the lookout for All Star Animes. Mike, yeah. we love you, bro. Yes, Mike, we do love you. Uh, Nico. You can just find all my information on linktr.ee slash the real Nico Nice. Okay. Uh, Dave. Uh, just be nice to each other. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm struggling, but I'm doing my best right now. It's hard sometimes. You know? It is. People make it difficult. Smoke. Smoke. <laughs> they drug test me. Okay, Mac. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> See, okay, Nico's going to take you up on smoke, that. Smoke will give you a lot of fuck, like, fuck it in your system. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of trouble with my neurologist. That's why I don't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they drug test me. Ironically, why is your neurologist drug testing you? Because I ha- they put the morphine pump in my back and they give me payments. So if I have any other drugs in my system. Wow, I guess your state is awesome because they don't do that shit out here. <laughs> yeah. They care yeah. where you live. Out here, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, um, yeah, they, my- they, they drug test us. Can I just say that, um, that my, my, my weed actually ties into the show because it's a strain called Django? Yes. <laughs> Django! 
<laughs> One time we put I that on, it. and we, the menu kept playing this, the theme song, so every, we, we sometimes just go, Django! Yeah, Which, sorry. by the way, you could probably do that on this show, because Fang, that made the cover of Fangoria. Yes. Yeah. Um, like I said, so, there will be more Tarantino true. movies. I can promise Love you them. that. Uh, the titles will be revealed later. Um, and so, on that note, uh, Wow, we did a bang-up job tonight, guys. I really thought we were going to need extra time, and we, we we made it. We made it. No, this is nice. I actually get in bed before 10. Oh, hey. yeah. I can actually watch the Practical <laughs> Jokers at 10. This is sweet. I, like, my shit's broken. i got to go to bed. Like, pain medicine is calling my name. I'm going to fuck this All right. shit. Good night, guys. All right. Take care, guys. Love you all. Good night, everybody. Good night. Love you. <laughs>